Welcome to the Heal Podcast, where we believe God heals people in the way that brings Him the most glory and brings us closest to Him. Whether you've received healing, you're in the fight of your life, or you gave up on God a long time ago, you are welcome here. As you come to the table, listen with an open mind, knowing everyone's journey is unique, but pain is our common language. Hello there, friend. Welcome to the Heal Podcast. My name is Tara Bradham Denai. I am your host, and I am so excited for you to be here from wherever you are joining us. I know that I might not know you or know your face, but I do this for you and I pray over it for you. And so I'm just believing that God has a special word for you today in this interview. So before we get to our guest, I just wanted to remind you real fast a few weeks ago, I mentioned that we have a podcast guest recommendation form now on our website. So if you know of someone who you think would be a great fit for this podcast, you're like, man, I wish Tara would interview this person. Now you can let me know. So if you just scroll down from where you're you're listening to this in the show notes, there's a link. You can head right to that link and fill it out and we will see if that person is a good fit for the show. And on that same note, you can sign up for our newsletter if you want to stay more up to date with all the things happening for HEAL. Thank you guys for praying for us. We are real people trying to do a real ministry, and we really, really appreciate you guys praying for us, praying for our guests, and for everything that we do here. Just the fact that you continue to show up and show your support means the world to us. So today on the show, we have Carrie Farrell, who I just recently got acquainted with here in Vancouver, Washington, and she has been a mental health counselor for six years, but she specializes in working with chronic pain in children and young adults. And now she's going into more so helping athletes, but this is her experience. She also has quite the journey herself of chronic pain since she was 19 years old. She's now been in that pain for over two decades, lots of surgeries, lots of managing, and she shares a lot of her journey today. And then she was also a coach for softball as well. So she's been on a lot of different sides of the pain equation, and I think she shares a really well-rounded view of that today. So this episode, I did title it For the Injured Athlete, which I hope is special to those of you who are athletes out there. If you are, maybe this is your first time listening to this podcast. Welcome. Obviously, that was my history, is my history as well as being an elite athlete and the pain that accompanies sport is uh, unique and we just don't address it enough. So if you're an athlete, I hope this episode really speaks to you specifically. And if you are not an athlete, you are still welcome here. I think some of the tips that Carrie shares are so practical that they apply to anyone in chronic pain. So even if you're not an athlete, I still think there will be nuggets in here for you. There will be something for you to learn from, and I still encourage you to stick with us to the end. So here is my new friend, Carrie Farrell, and her expertise talking about chronic pain. Welcome, Carrie. I'm excited to meet you in person soon because you're a local person. I think you might be our first local Vancouver person on the show. 
So that's exciting. Welcome. Yeah, it's, it's interesting on my podcast, my people are all over as well. So I don't get to see them very often. So it's fun to actually be able to connect to somebody that I will see in person, yeah. you know, and build a relationship that is in our neighborhood instead of always long distance. Even though we are recording remotely, which is ironic, but <laughs> it's easier. That's what I say. I'm like, it's it totally is easier. And it seems like second nature now after two years that everything is just done. Yeah in this fashion so and when you have a highway out your window like i do it's better sound quality so (laughs) yeah yes i've been told that with my stuff too it's like hey you know what your sound quality you just gotta zoom i just remembered that i did have someone on locally because we recorded in this room so there's that we're already one little tally for the pregnancy brain going going (laughs) but carrie tell people a little bit about what you do first and then we'll like backtrack to how you got there sure So I am a mental health counselor and I specialize working with athletes and young people with chronic pain. So I've actually spent a majority of the last few years also just working with kids, but teenagers, young adults, kind of in the general population, but I'm making the move to just being athletes in pain, which I always say is funny because most athletes deal with chronic pain or some form of pain, or, you know, I always think if kids never are in the training room, that's a miracle. One of my assistants, she's like, I never got injured. I'm like, I don't know if I'm jealous or I, I don't understand how that happened. I can't fathom that, but that's because my story is so different. Exactly. I'm like, uh, I used to be besties like with my physical therapist and my trainer. So it's, oh, it's, yeah. it's two to three hours a day. Exactly. I'm like, why am I closer to my physical therapist than my teammates half the time? And, but going through, you know, going through my experience with, with being an athlete and injury, it's kind of how I ended up here. And I actually was a coach for a long period of time. Mm-hmm. I was a collegiate coach for 15 years before I got into this, into this line of work. And to be honest, I don't really miss coaching. Really? I thought I would miss it more than I do. Yeah. I don't really miss it. It's, it's funny. Cause people are like, don't you, you know, when are you coming back? And I'm like, I'm not, I'm not coming back hmm. because in this line of work, I still get to be with athletes and impact them in a way that's mm-hmm. even more at a vulnerable state. Like literally before I got on this call with you I was talking to a a trainer in Idaho I literally was like hey I gotta go I gotta get on a podcast and we're talking about an athlete and she's talking about going to medical school and I'm like think about how many more people you can impact even than you do now Hmm. and so for me I still love my sport I watch way too much softball I watch the suit the Sooners nonstop, even though that's not where I went to school so let's say where did you go to school (laughs) so I went to the I went to the University of Utah the Utes yes the Utes yep it is the Utes I was actually headed to the University of Oregon and I all I ever wanted to be was a duck. Oh. But then they had a coaching change and honestly God saved me by getting me to Utah. Oregon's program went through some really hard times yeah. at that point and Utah through my injuries I was really blessed to have the community I did there. But I became a Sooner fan because honestly Utah was kind of going through some hard times I'm like I don't really know if I want to root for them. And so I always had mad respect for the Sooners. They're unbelievable and just the football program or mostly softball. I'll root for pretty much anything, but when when it comes to football, I'm still a Ute. I I probably root for Utah in most things, but now I'm on the FCA board for Oregon, so I'm back. It's it's just kind of crazy. So I root for a bunch of people, but you just decided you like the Sooners and like went with it. Well, nobody plays infield like the Sooners, and I was an infielder. Okay, but the other thing too is, I mean, they're also the best team in the nation right now. They weren't when I started, but they're also a very faith-based team even for a state school like mm-hmm. they are a very faith-based team it's all about doing the right thing it's all about cha- you know championship mentality and so there's a lot of teams that win that don't have that mentality and so I was like I w- want to support a team that 
kind of was how I wanted to run my team. And so, yeah, so I become a big Sooner fan, mm-hmm. but I also root for the Ducks and root for Utah. So my wardrobe is expansive about, wow. you know, the teams that I that I root for. Yeah. I've, I've had to come out of it a little bit, but I'm a pretty diehard SEC person. So went to Arkansas, went to A&M, swam for both, and I was raised by a Gator. So I grew up a Gator. Oh, well, and that's the thing is, is, you know, the Sooners are making the move. To SEC, you know, Utah made the move to the pack, which is nice. So at least now I can see Utah more locally. And so I don't have to go to Salt Lake to see them. But yeah. Yeah. Also, weird connection. My PT, physical therapist in Arkansas, went to grad school and was a huge Sooner fan. So he would be so happy with you. Oh, that's... I know it's funny. I, my kids get tired of, of me. I go, guys, you're never going to believe what happened today. Or, Hey, you know what? Although I'm like, yeah, they know the kids that have their kids by first names is ridiculous. Mm. It, it's nice to just be able to watch a team be really successful. That has a great culture and belief system behind them. Mm-hmm. And yeah, for sure. And maybe there'll be a Christian movie one day. They tend to do that. Ex- exactly. Right. And so, <laughs> you know, I, I was lucky to coach a, a Christian school for the big part of my career and have that be a part of, mm-hmm. of our program. And so even though they're, they're a state school, I highly respect that that's still a part of what, yeah. of what they do every day. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Random question. Do you have either athletes that you currently counsel? Is that what you would call them? Are they your yeah. counselees? I don't want to call them your patients. I mean... Is that what I was I know saying? they're they're not my my patients. Yeah, they're not my patients. I'm not a doctor. It's funny when people do call me doctor. I'm like, no, I didn't go to school that long. So they're my clients. You know, it's funny because people a lot of athletes don't want to go to counseling because that means they're not tough. Mm-hmm. And so one of the big things it's a huge stigma. It's a huge stigma. And I went to counseling after my injury because I went through significant depression because softball was so much of my identity and to lose it was devastating, right? Mm-hmm. And so, but people didn't talk about it back then. Like, you know, it was almost like, hush, hush, you don't want to admit you're going to counseling. So one of the big things too, is normalizing that counseling is a part of being a a top performer. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a lot of people say, are you a sports psychologist? I'm like, no, I'm not a sports psychologist because that's all based on performance. And so many kids is, or athletes performance is impacted by all the stuff underneath. Mm -hmm. Right. So, you know, I, I work with probably one of the number one recruits in basketball a a year ago. Mm -hmm. He's a, he's flawless. Like watching him play, he's unbelievable. But what he came to me had nothing to do with basketball. It had to do with family stuff and dealing with all the things. So he didn't have a meltdown when he would go and play on, you know, the the big stage. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, one of my other ones is a professional athlete and she came to me after she was injured and it was transitioning back into sport, but it was also identity stuff and comparison stuff because we think pro athletes and high level athletes don't have stuff. No, They, they, they have as much stuff as, as anybody does. And helping them build that foundation is going to lead to better performance, right? Yeah. And so that's kind of, I mean, and I mean, other than working with the pain side of, of athletics, that's probably the biggest component. But I go in and speak at and work with athletic departments, and it could be a, as big as, hey, we have an issue going on, or hey, can you come talk to our, our training staff to be able to identify mm-hmm. things in our kids? You know, working with coaches, you know, suicidality through COVID has been massive. And so yeah. helping, helping coaches identify those things in student athletes has been really important. And also, I actually just wrote an article for the Cascade Conference. They 
they call it SAC, Student Athlete Advisory Committee, about how to deal with with injuries, right? I did a thing called SAMS, which is Student Athlete Mentors, but I oversaw SAC at Concordia because okay. SAC is a super powerful group, like pretty much whatever SAC wants, but from the NCA they get. Mm-hmm. And so they, I know that they've been really advocating for like mental health stuff when it comes to student athletes. Mm-hmm. But it is, as I say, the injury stuff is a massive component. And then how do they live their lives with pain, physical pain afterwards? Yeah. And so, I mean... You know, you and I have very similar stories and it's funny. I have a good friend. She was an all-American swimmer at Cal and she's similar, got injured. You know, so we have similar stories and so much of, you know, what has happened to us in the past leads to what we do now, mm-hmm. right? They say in the world of counseling, we usually counsel in where we've been hurt. Yeah. And I physically, you know, I physically did get hurt. Well, like your greatest wounds yep. is your greatest weapons, yes. I think, from a faith perspective, right? Totally. Absolutely. That's a hundred percent, you know, how I feel God has played into my life. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, when I went to school, I was going to be an architect. And I'm like, that's hilarious because my husband uh, does. Oh, oh, well, and that's the thing is like, couldn't do a division one sports and be an architect because of schedule. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I remember thinking our academic advisor had a, a master's in counseling. I'm like, why would you ever do that? Like, that's stupid. Like, why would you want to be that? Because <laughs> I, I really always wanted to coach and I was on the track to be a division one coach. But my chronic pain kept me from doing that because I couldn't, mm-hmm. I couldn't do the schedule. I couldn't travel all the time because I went from being a three sport high school athlete to a division one athlete to barely being able to walk within like a two-year span oh my gosh so take us through that a little bit like your personal journey and then like were you a Christian at that point like what were some of the struggles in that yeah it's it's actually interesting because I grew up I grew up <laughs> I went to Catholic school had nuns, you know, not in the habit, but like I, you know, had nuns growing up. Church every church every Sunday was a, definitely a big part of my life. But it was funny because going to Utah, and it had nothing to going with about going to Utah, but there had been some things in, in our church that I was like, I don't know if I want to stay Catholic. Mm-hmm. And so much of it was my parents' faith. It wasn't mine at, at that time. And it was interesting going to Utah because Utah's so LDS, you know, Mormon mm-hmm. focused. Yeah. I actually found that I really did want to stay Catholic. I went to the Newman Center there and it was a very different experience than the, my home church. Mm-hmm. But I learned so much about the Mormon faith through that, that period of time. And so it actually kind of had, I kind of led me to embrace my, the faith that was my choice at the time. Yeah. So God, God has played a huge role from the beginning of my injuries to now still dealing with chronic pain, you know, in my forties. But so, you know, I had had some minor injuries going through sports. I had injured my hand and stuff my freshman year, but it was interesting. So it was my sophomore year and I I pretty much played every inning. Like I was a starter as a freshman and we were in Arizona and it was our first weekend and Arizona, their fields are very hard because there's not a lot of moisture there. And Mm -hmm. we, it was our last game of the weekend and I had like dough for a ball and I got up and I was like, okay, well, Oh, that this is not good. And I was like, I'll just go to the trainer. He'll be fine. You know, no big deal. Mm-hmm. And so I went to our trainer and we started trying, you know, doing everything that trainers do, every treatment known to man. And I went from being a starter to playing every other game to maybe one out of five to not playing at all in, in my sophomore year. Wow. And that was really hard for me to understand because as an athlete, I was like, I can still keep up. Mm-hmm. And it's funny when I became a coach and I would watch injuries in my athletes. I'm like, I couldn't keep up, but I didn't, you know, when you're in it, you don't understand. You're like, dude, I'm still good enough. And now I'm like, no, you weren't, you weren't good enough. You know, you weren't as good. You weren't as good as your teammate was. Right. So that year, that summer I, I came home, I grew up in Southern Oregon. I came home, I was rehabbing and I lived in, you know, I was doing swimming and weight room and doing absolutely everything possible to get back to playing. 
I came back and I felt amazing. I was like, this is awesome. Like, I feel the best that I ever have. I was in the best shape of my life. Wait, so did you describe like what your injury is? Yeah, I'll get to that in a, in a, in a, in a okay. second because it's kind of weird. And we didn't really know. We just, okay. they, they thought I had jammed my back. Okay. And so that's what was going on. So they thought, yeah, we jam your back. You're just going to rehab it. Okay. Sorry. Keep going. No, no, that's a good, that, that's a good, good thing. Cause I was like, yeah, dude, I couldn't walk. So, but anyway, so we were actually up at UW and we always played there in the fall. And I remember standing, like looking at the field cause UW's field is right on Lake Washington. It's super beautiful. And I thought finally, like I'm finally playing mm-hmm. how I want to play and I feel good. So shortly after that, I was at workouts. My assistant coach was like, cause you just need to relax. I go, I, I can't. I'm like, it was like all the pain just shot through my whole back. Hmm. I just looked at her, I go, I think I need to go to the doctor. And so, as I say, I was super blessed at my time at Utah. They have amazing medical professionals. They have three hospitals, you know, across the street from the University of Utah. So one of our, our gymnasts actually had just injured her back. So I went to her surgeon and they couldn't figure out a, a lot of things. At first they thought I had spinal fractures, two fractures in my spine. And I thought that was going to be awful. And then now I realize that would have been a lot easier route if I would have just had fractures. Then they found out that I actually have an L6. So you're only supposed to go to L5, but I have an L6. And so when you look at my spine, the lowest lumbar, the process, the things that come off your spine actually look like big butterfly wings. And so to rotate every day, hundreds of times, my bone was grinding on top of my bone. Yeah. The rest of my spine looked about six years old, but you know, Some people have that and they go through their lives and never know it. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. Have you read the mind body prescription Uh -uh. by Joe Sarno? Uh -uh. Another topic. Oh, okay. (laughs) Crazy stuff. (laughs) I think you might like it in your fields. So I actually went to a doctor and they were going to do these injections into my back and I was freaking out because I'm like, "Uh, you're going to put giant needles and do what? So they put some steroids in my back and I was feeling okay. They're like, we're going to wait two weeks and then you can go play. I'm like, Okay. So I waited two weeks. We were back in Arizona. Cortisone? What kind of injections? It, it, was, it wasn't cortisone. It was just a form of steroid because they were trying to locate where the pain was. Uh, they really still couldn't confirm that that's where the pain source was. Okay. And so we were back in Arizona and I had like one at bat the first game. The second game, we were playing Oregon State that night. And by the third inning, I could barely feel my legs. And I went to my trainer and I go, I can't feel my legs. And he goes, well, what did you eat? And I was like, are you serious? Like I'm a back <laughs> patient. My salad is not impacting me, you know? So I went and uh, said to my sister or to my, uh, the other second baseman, I go, dude, you got to warm up. Like, I don't think I'm going to make it. And so I had my last at bat and I could barely walk off the field. And I waited for my head coach who I had a great relationship with. And I just said, I think I said, I'm done. I said, we, we got to do something. So we went home. And like I say, I was super blessed. I had seven medical professionals show up on a Sunday afternoon in our training room. Wow. You know, my team doctor, my surgeon, my physiatrist, you know, all these people. And they all, I said, you all get to say your piece. And then I will decide what I'm going to do. Hmm. Cause they didn't want to do a spinal f- fusion on a 20 year old. Yeah. And they all said their piece. And I looked at my surgeon, I go, we're, we're going to do what he wants to do. And so a month later I had a spinal fusion without hardware. They thought that was going to be my best opportunity to come back to playing. And I was in a brace that made me look like a Mm stormtrooper. Literally people Mm -hmm. were like, where's the rest of your costume? I couldn't sit down for six weeks. I stood through class. Somebody asked me in one of my classes if I had been hit by a bus. Cause I, I mean, I'm 20 with a cane, like this is ridiculous, right? I did everything that we were supposed to do. And I got to my six months and I got back to practice and I knew something was wrong. And I look at my, my roommate who I was very close to, and she'd been through surgeries and I go, Monson, something's wrong. And she's like, no, 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 this is just getting back to, I go, 
I don't think so. I think something's wrong. I was having CTs pretty regularly and I got called the next day from my doctor and he goes, I have no idea why, but your fusion didn't take, you need to be at the hospital tomorrow. Oh my gosh. And so I, I went up to the hospital and my coach actually met me there and she's, and I said, what are you doing here? You hate hospitals. And she's like, I need to see what this, what this is. And so, you know, when your fusion does it take, they pretty much put gravel in your spine so that it will heal back to being bones, right? That's what it looks like. Yeah, they take, they they go in and they grind down your spine and then they take stuff out of your hip and they make a putty and it's supposed to grow back together. But mine didn't grow back together. Lovely. So, yeah, nine months after my first fusion, I had another one and they put hardware in and that was probably going to end my career. But I was like, no, it's not going to end my career. (laughs) We're so similar. I know. I was like, don't tell me that. And I I was actually working out at the Y in my hometown because I lived in a small town and this old guy, this old guy, but he was like 60 and he's like, so what are you doing here? I'm like, I know I'm the only one under 60. And I said, well, I'm, you know, rehabbing my back and stuff. He goes, you'll never play again. And I just want to be like, dude, don't tell me I'm never going to play again. Mm -hmm. But shortly after that, like my pain was not getting better. And I knew that I was never going to play again. And so December of my senior year, I was like, I, I'm done. I, this is it healing. It actually took five years for my fusion to heal. It usually takes a year. Wow. And that's why I say I've seen surgeons all over to try and fix that. But the hard thing is, is I continue to coach after that. So I, I was an assistant coach at Utah for two years. And in my second year, we actually got hit by a drunk driver, me and the, some of my players uh, on the road. Wow. And I fractured a bone in my upper spine. Oh, my God. I got a call from one of my teammates. And she goes, cause I read the, the article. And she goes, please tell me you weren't in the accident. I go, I was. And she goes, please tell me you didn't injure your back. I go, I did. Mm. So, I had a, yeah, I had a compression fracture in my upper spine. That's when I was like, I, I, I knew I needed to leave Division One at that point in time, to be honest, the ethics of it and the travel of it. And hmm. it, it didn't match my belief system or my physical ability at that time. Hmm. And so I left Utah two years after. Still, I mean, still struggling with chronic pain with my lower and upper. And that's why I came back and coached small college. Two years after that, I actually got a, a rare autoimmune disease called ITP, oh, wow. which means that your blood doesn't clot. Luckily, the guru of ITP lives in Portland and he's up at OHSU. Well, that's amazing. I know. That's why I was like, oh my gosh, like super grateful. So my second season of coaching here, I spent most of it in the hospital. And did you have family at this point? I'm trying to follow your like life trajectory too. No, I actually got married my first, after my first year of coaching, I married an Oregonian that I met in Utah, which is crazy. Huh, that's uh, awesome. a, I, mar- I married a Christian Oregonian, which is is pretty crazy. <laughs> so yeah, we both. He was a he was two years behind me, so he graduated. We came home. It was our second year of marriage. That actually, our first year of marriage, I got in the car accident. Our third year of marriage, I spent most of it in the hospital, and that led to hard things as far as did I want to have biological children? Like I didn't want to because mm-hmm. of all my medical stuff, and I actually after having Grace develop some like some more chronic pain type autoimmune diseases because of the whole birthing process or a a lot of these things I have been told is because like my ITP is my body was so like abused from surgeries and stuff that Mm -hmm. when your body gets super stressed or you emotionally get super stressed you can you know an autoimmune disease can present itself so it's like the you know the the book the body keeps score and they talk about how those yeah how those things can lead to it and, you know, I, I often wonder with some of my younger clients, the stress level in my younger clients 
is so high. And so kids are getting autoimmune diseases much earlier, yeah. you know, yeah. and I'm not a doctor and I cannot say that that's how it is. Kind of like as a teacher, what I saw with ADD, which like I totally believe is real, but I also wonder what our technology contributions are doing to our kids. Absolutely. And that's, you know, I, the, my kids that come to me and I'm like, oh my gosh, this stress in your life has probably led to a lot of this stuff. I mean, I've had kiddos that have had grand, grand mal seizures and they don't have a seizure disorder. Hmm. It's because the stress in their families and in their lives yeah. is so severe. That's what is happening. Yeah. So, yeah. So I, I mean, I ended up having two kids after Alex. We were like, yeah, we're done. My body can't do another one. Mm-hmm. God, I always said, we always knew the third one was going to show up. We didn't know how, but she did about four years ago. One of the kids that played for me in high school came from a really bad a family situation. And I said to her, we were on spring break. I go, I don't know how you survive this kiddo. Like most kids would be drug addicts or partying like rock stars or whatever. Mm-hmm. And she goes, and I said, how did you do this? She goes, cause I just love Jesus, you know? And mm-hmm. so God definitely blessed us down the road having a third child. Cause my body wasn't able to do more. And she just kind of like adopted her basically. Yeah. I mean, we, it's funny. We didn't because she was growing up. She was about to turn 18, but yeah. And mm-hmm. my body, I mean, I, I deal with chronic pain still every day and yeah. But it's become something that is, I mean, I, I don't, I hate to say it's a lifestyle, but it's a management situation. Mm-hmm. And it's hard for people to understand that don't live in it. Yeah. And oh, yeah. I think for me, like with my clients, especially young people, it gets so frustrating when you sit across from a counselor that has never understood mm-hmm. what is going on. Carrie, I wanted to be like a pulmonologist and then I wanted to be a PT because I was like, stop telling me that you understand. You don't understand. Like, you, you know don't what the understand. diagnosis is, which they didn't yeah. actually, but you don't understand. And then God took me on a different path. But I, I wanted to do that because of that very thing. And I was fortunate when I, when I first decided I needed to see a counselor, I went to our team doc and I said, uh, cause my sports psychologist is like, well, I don't do depression. I'm like, well, well, I don't really know what to do now. A sports psychologist doesn't deal with depression. No, it's performance. Oh, so that's why the world of sp- sports counseling is well, going to be such a much bigger thing. Right. It's, it's exactly. And so I ended up going to my team doc and she recommended a counselor and he had been an injured athlete. Mm. And even now, like I base every counselor I ever see off of him. And it was like 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. You know, he's the one, how I found my counselor out here, you know, Angela who runs his heart. She goes, yeah. what makes him different? And I go, cause he understands what it is to live in that, in that life. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, so it's like my husband, you know, he works with, first responders mm-hmm. and he's not a first responder, but we live in the life of other people that are soldiers and first responders. So we understand what life is like and to sit across from somebody that has had their life destroyed by medical stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm working with a, a person now who had a botched surgery and hasn't eaten in a year Ugh. and she's 30. Like to, to say, you know, to sit across from somebody that hasn't understood what it is to not get out of bed, it, it, it's impossible for them to go. Yeah, I trust you. Yeah. Like I, you really do understand what the grind, the grind is. And so I knew for me, like, this is the population because a athletes don't want to come forward. And I was so blessed having such a holistic group take care of me. I mean, my, you know, my end goal would be to have, you know, an orthopedist, a PT and everything in the same building. Mm -hmm. So when somebody walks in, everybody's on the same page to take care of them because that doesn't happen. And kids lose years and years to pain and not understanding how to manage their lives And I never want kids to lose more than they already have lost. Are there more people who do what you do or are you pretty rare? Because 
I didn't hear about people doing what you do, certainly when I was an athlete, but maybe it's just, I don't know about it, or maybe it's, you're trying to make it more of a thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it is actually pretty rare. That's why it's, it's really frustrating to me that insurance doesn't cover all States because I want to be able to work with whoever needs to be worked with. You know, that's like with college of Idaho, I was lucky getting a license in Idaho is super easy, but you know, at College of Idaho, 50% of their, their population is athletes. And they'll say, well, our counselors don't understand what this what's going on in, in, in their life, the school counselor. And why would they, right? Mm-hmm. So right now, actually, I am trying to build this into people. <laughs> My intern was a former athlete. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I, I said, you'll go and do a normal practice. And she's like, nah, I can't get rid of her. She'll be with me forever. She's amazing. I have another, an, another good, a good friend that he was the president of Fellowship of Christian Athletes at Concordia. And we've stayed friends through this time and he's doing FCA now and he is getting his master's in counseling to come and do what I do. Mm. And then I am hopefully going to steal one of my other former, a former basketball player that is a licensed counselor in Salt Lake, ironically. Mm -hmm. But then at my grad program, we're trying to start introducing certificate programs. So when you get your master's, you can go and specialize in very specific things. Like you want to come work with chronic pain or, or, or work with athletes because athletes, if you don't speak their language, they will walk out the door. Oh yeah. And that's what I did. And so that's the thing is I saw a sports psychologist one time. I was like, that was ridiculous. And I never went back. Well, and that's the thing with athletes. Like I'll sit across from, you know, six, three, 200 pound baseball players. And I, you know, and I'm a 43 year old mom of two with a minivan. Mm -hmm. And I have to very quickly express that I can keep up with them. And I know exactly what their life is like, you know? And so I feel God has blessed me so much of having so many different experiences that I can say, I understand what the recruiting process is on both sides, mm-hmm. right? I I know what it is to be an injured athlete. I know what it is to coach at all these levels. So when kids sit across from me, they actually know what the, they know that I under, I truly understand. Mm-hmm. And so do athletes stick with me for a long time? No, because athletes won't. But most of my athletes come back. If I have six sessions with an athlete, I'm like, all right, we're doing awesome. Mm -hmm. A lot of my athletes will work with me even seasonally. I have a professional motorcycle rider. And I was like, dude, I'm senior forever. You go season starting. I'm like, gotcha. Mm -hmm. You know, and we have, we have schedules through season. Like I like tonight, I'm like, I call an athlete at six o'clock on Tuesdays. Cause I know that she is done with dinner and she has to, you know, transition into a competition on Thursday. Mm -hmm. So we are trying to create this as a profession but there's got to be an understanding of sport yeah. and that's the yeah. thing. And and so uh, I think a lot of, and I crush dreams all the time with people that say they want to be sports psychologists. I go, do not become a sports psychologist. Mm-hmm. I go, first thing you can't bill insurance. And the thing is, is that is not where the heart of the, pro- the problem is. And the thing is, is, you know, and I know you probably went through the same thing is so much of athletics is identity. Yeah. And so when you cannot compete anymore and your injury takes you away from it, you forget who you are. Mm -hmm. Like you're trying to figure out who you are. I literally had that conversation with my 11 year old about, I want you to be more than sports and gaming because at some point we are done and you need to be able to have something more than that. And I know for me with chronic pain, like I didn't think I'd be 43 and be as limited physically as I am. Do I do still do a lot of stuff? Yeah, but I can't run. I, I can't go to the gym. I can't do a lot of those things. And that's not who I thought I was going to be at middle aged. Yeah. That being said, I live a huge life. I had to learn how to live a different life. Do you think it's bad to let chronic pain become your identity? Because we'll always try to put it in something Absolutely. else. Yeah. So you still deal with this. You've dealt with it for, yeah. I guess, over two over decades. 20. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I, I think chronic pain being your identity, is a. it leads to so much 
defeat, especially when it comes to mental health. And, you know, I always say there's two types of chronic pain clients, the victims and the champions. I really think there's two types of people in the world, victims and champions. Yeah. And I, you know, I have people that are like, it's almost like they're, it's so their identity, they really don't want to get better mm. because it's who they are. And I have other people that were like, this is not who I am. And I do this for lots of different clients, but I'll say, okay, list the five things that identify who you are. And if it's your mental illness or it's chronic pain, we've got an issue, mm. right? You know, I'll have people like, yeah, ADHD is, you know, or my anxiety is like top three. And I'm like, man, you know, I do chronic pain every day and it is not my top three. So how did you get there? Like speaking to someone, you know, like when it, when you're dealing with this every day, it's like, oh, I can't do this today. Like, I mean, it's even if it's subconscious, like, oh, I shouldn't sit that way. Like you're just dealing with it all day long. How do you not let that become a top five? Well, it's because, well, I think for me, I had a million hobbies. I always blame my injuries in Utah into having so many hobbies. I lived in Salt Lake during scrapbook Mecca time. So I had a million hobbies. So yes, I have a million hobbies and a million interests. I probably could have been a professional and 20 million things and been happy. But I think for me, the last, after I left coaching, I think was the biggest, the biggest changeover of, okay, this can't be as big as it is in your life. Right. And so I always knew that coaching and family and God were my priorities. You know, injury was something I managed to be able to do the other three things. Mm -hmm. But when I left coaching and I was like, you are going to now train people how to do this. You better figure this out. And so, I mean, I do a million different like physical things. Like I don't do physical therapy anymore. I, I have massage therapists. I have a chiropractor. I have way too expensive of a bed. You know, I always wear specific shoes. Like, you know, I have every gadget there is. <laughs> but when it comes to the mental side is I had to also change my level of anxiety. So I grew up in a pretty anxious family. I was a super, super intense athlete. But after I got sick, I got a new perspective of life's too short. Why are we so serious about so many things? So I'm definitely, when I tell people, I'm like, I wasn't like this growing up. They're like, what? I go, oh, guys, mm-hmm. like I was super serious and intense. And I worried about a lot of things that I, you know, always wanted to make everybody happy with performance and, you know, all the things that athletes go through. And I finally started looking at the reality of anxiety makes chronic pain worse. It's like throwing lighter fluid on a barbecue. Mm -hmm. And so when clients come to me, we have to make their anxiety and worry almost disappear. And asking a chronic pain patient to do that is like asking somebody like me to dunk a basketball. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm 5'3", I ain't dunking anything. (laughs) So how we go through and treat a lot of it is, okay, what are the things, you know, what is our biggest worries, right? Chronic pain, a lot of it is, I'm going to live with this forever. Mm. Yep. You may live with this forever. And I ask people, are you waiting for a cure? Yes, I'm waiting for a cure. And I chased a cure for years. Mm-hmm. But I would say, so are you, what do you want to do while we're waiting? And they're like, what do you mean? I go, so are you going to live a horrible life waiting for the cure? And then they usually go, well, I don't want to give up that time. I go, either do I. So mm-hmm. let's try and figure out things why, if a cure could come. Well, and that's really similar to like what we talk about, like from a Christian faith, because a lot of people are waiting for miraculous healing. Yeah. And and that's, and, and to be honest, I've had somebody try to heal me and it actually just made me mad. And, and because, mm. you know, I've been through this for almost 20 years when I went to this, you know, a, a friend wanted me to go to this church group and they tried to heal me and I left and I was so angry. Mm-hmm. I was so angry. And he's like, I think I made you upset. And I go, yeah, because you treated it like God wasn't here this whole time. Hmm. Right. It's like, why did you think you guys were going to show up 20 years into this and go, Hey, 
we're going to fix it. I'm like, God has been here the whole time. Yeah. It just, God doesn't necessarily think, I mean, no, God, the plan wasn't to say, Carrie, we're going to heal you. That wasn't, that wasn't the plan. And that's okay. Right. Cause I know so many times, like you're going through this because you needed to learn a, B and C. Right. Uh, my coach used to say, don't you wish God would just put a letter in a mailbox to let you know why he's doing what he's <laughs> doing? And I go, that would be super convenient. Mm-hmm. But I, re- I remember three years after I, I started coaching Concordia, I had a kid that had degenerative disc disease and I literally was driving and I was like, this is why, like, you need to be able to help this kid. Mm-hmm. And I always think a lot, a lot of my teammates would have fallen apart if they would have gone through what I would have gone through. Mm-hmm. So I, I never got mad at God. I never was like, where are you? For me, it was, what am I going to take from all this? And I need to learn how to live within it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I wasn't waiting for healing. I am not waiting for God to touch me and go, hey, you're good. Sometimes I literally say, okay, God, I got it. I've learned everything I can from this. But I also know that what has happened biologically, I don't feel I can, you know, it can't be reversed, Mm -hmm. right? So what I've learned through this on the science side is what they're finding is, especially severe injuries, about 50% of them lead to chronic pain, right? So when, uh, you know, I've had super traumatic injury and that has turned on my nervous system Mm -hmm. and it won't turn off. That's really what fibromyalgia is. It's your nervous system being turned on for a million different reasons, and you can't get it to turn off. Sometimes when it's more on the emotional side, I know people that have gotten to turn off injury. I'm still waiting to meet the person that gets it to turn all the way off. Mm-hmm. But for me, the anxiety piece, if I knew that my nervous system was on all the time, I needed to do whatever I could to keep anxiety, the you know, the lighter fluid away. And so for me, I had to start really thinking about what was I worrying about? And could I control any of those things? Mm-hmm. And the reality is, is I couldn't control any of the things I was worried about. Yeah. And so I was putting so much energy into something that was only causing me more pain. And I said to my son a couple months ago, I go, Hey buddy. So if I worried about you all day while you were at school, would you feel more, you know, would you feel safer? And he goes, no. <laughs> and I go, would you, would you feel more loved? He goes, mom, I wouldn't know you were worrying. And so my, my son would get nothing out of me worrying. I couldn't keep him safer. I couldn't love him more by worrying but what was happening is my pain was getting worse and I would end up in bed. Hmm. So really I wasn't serving him better by worrying about him. Yeah. You know, it's like every time we get on a plane, we could worry that we're going to crash. If God wants you to crash, you're going down <laughs> and you can't do anything about that. Right. It's like with COVID, you know, and I knew I, I, I I'm surprised I wasn't tarred and feathered, <laughs> but I just wanted to say to all these people in the beginning, if, if God wants you, he's coming. So you can't, you can't give your life over to so much fear because he's going to come and do what needs to happen mm-hmm. anyway, right? Plus, I was having a, a physically miserable time doing all those things. And so it's funny now, I was joking with my mom. My mom was a huge worrier and she worries way less. And I go, mom, you're growing in your 70s. It's awesome. And she just was like, mm-hmm. what are you talking about? I go, mom, you actually ask questions about worry. I go, it doesn't serve us, right? It doesn't serve us, yeah. you know, and all the fear that we put out there, it's things that could happen. But once again, we can't prevent that from happening. And if we are true believers, why do we struggle so much handing it over to him to do what needs to happen? It's the eternal question. We don't believe yeah, yeah. he's better, right? Yeah. Like, it's like the whole original sin. We don't believe that his ways are better than our ways. Well, and that's what I would say. God is so much bigger than we can even comprehend, but we limit him to 
what a human can do. We limit, you know, we, we limit him to humanity, mm-hmm. which is not true. It's not true. And so, you know, if we continue to always think that we know better, we are always going to live a limited life. Yeah. And as a, you know, I always, when, my chronic pain people come in and they're not believers. I'm always like, dude, I just want to be like, dude, I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't say that, but that's what I, I want to say because I know for me being able to hand it over so much has improved my pain management. Now, some days I do worry I am human mm-hmm. and some days my pain is just awful. Even if I am, you know, mentally fine. Right. Yeah. But I, I know for me, it's if I, if I didn't take the step to truly look at, God is so much bigger and, and he is going to do what is necessary. I don't think my pain would have improved a lot. Mm-hmm. I really don't. Yeah. And it's interesting kids coming to me with, with pain, especially, you know, late teen years is their view of themselves is so stressful. You know, I'll have these kids that are amazing kids, you know, bright, talented, intelligent, kind, like just amazing kids. And they do not look at themselves with any value, right? And they Mm -hmm. care so much about what others think about them. It causes so much stress. And so we build a lot of, you know, how they view themselves, whose opinion they care about. You know, I always say that we give so many people power over our lives that we really don't care about their opinion. Mm -hmm. You know, and I always say, I'm like, you know, if you're a believer, the only people's opinion that should matter are God's and yours. And I go, and for people that aren't believers, I, you know, I'm like, well, it should get come down to yours. I adore my parents, don't really care about their opinion, <laughs> right? You know, I don't care if they don't don't like the paint color on my walls. I don't really care. I mean, probably other than maybe my, I don't even know if I care about anybody's opinion, truly, <laughs> because, you know what, I, how I see the world is not going to match anybody else's. And that's how God created us. Right. But you need some people's opinions, like your husband's or your kids. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah, it's not, you know, like if you paint a house, like something your husband oh, hates, no, yeah, like you no, still got to work with other people. No, right? no, that does not happen in my house. Cause my husband has no decorating sense of anything whatsoever. So he just hands it over. No, I mean, I do ask my kids opinions a lot. I do ask my husband's opinions, but I'm not going to let their opinion of me be crippling. Mm -hmm. I will try to improve, improve things. Even with my friends, I want my friends to say, Hey, I'm struggling with you. Yeah. And how can we change that? So I think I, I misstated that I don't care about opinions. You know, criticism is okay Mm -hmm. because criticism only helps us grow into a better version of us, Yeah, you know? And so that's the thing is everybody thinks criticism is awful and everybody's opinion and what people put on social media about us, you know, that is their own weakness and struggle. It's not mine. Mm -hmm. And as a chronic pain person, I can't carry anybody else's because I have to keep attuned with my, my stuff to keep my pain down. And I know for me, if I don't keep my pain down, how am I going to serve how do you not carry other people's burdens when that's your job? <laughs> you know, it's funny. I, I always joke that uh, and, uh, about my golden retriever. So Spencer goes to work with me and I would say I have an inappropriate relationship with my golden retriever. And I go, I know that sounds horrible, but Spencer, I, you know, for me, a lot of it is at the end of the day, some stories do get me. They do. And there are days that I literally feel like I physically weigh 30 pounds more than I, 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 than I, <laughs> than I do. Mm-hmm. And I have to realize that, I mean, cause I, and I knew going into therapy cause I'm a coach that like loves you forever. My alumni are with me forever. Mm-hmm. And it, that's the hard thing about counseling is you don't get alumni, mm-hmm. but I have to know that God put them in this situation. I can't pull them out of it. 
I have to help them get through those situations, right? And I mean, my husband and I both have said forever, you know, he worked with kids primarily early in his practice. And he's like, I just wish I could bring them all home and show them what love is. I'm like, mm-hmm. yep, but that is not what God has intended for them, right? Yeah. We can't, you know, we already, t- we already took in one kid and a dog and everything else. We can't, you know, take in the world. We have to help teach you know, teach our next generation how to be okay in the world. Mm. So yeah, there are days I think through there's a, you know, we have a thing in the business called compassion fatigue. Yeah. And I used to go through it when I, when I was a coach, cause when I was a coach, I was also the assistant AD. And so I oversaw all 300 of our kiddos. Oh, wow. And so now I think my, my bandwidth is shorter, especially through the pandemic. It used to be every four or five months. I was like, I need to peace out for a couple of days. Now it's probably every, during the pandemic it was about every six weeks. Hence we bought a cabin because I, we, we needed to kind of just uh, deflate through the pandemic. Mm-hmm. But, you know, for me, a lot of it is, is I am super invested in relationships and friendships. And my daughter's a theater kid. I spent a lot of time at the warehouse painting sets. That is very therapeutic. I coached little league and mm-hmm. little league baseball for my son. And I, once again, still have a million crafts and projects. Yes. I am obsessed with both my dogs. Mm-hmm. I think that they, bring a lot of just calm in the storm. Are they both golden retrievers? No, I have a, a doxador, which is crazy. It's a half lab, half dachshund. What? I know. He I looks like a little that. lab. Okay. I, I know. He looks like a little lab, but we somebody actually abandoned him at the softball field. And so he ended up coming home. And ironically, we were kind of on a dog break. We had just lost our other golden to, to cancer very quickly. Hmm. But I was going through a horrible pain series of my life. Like it felt like I had run a marathon every day. I was, it was, it was really bad. And Delta still doesn't like my husband after all these years, he jumped into bed and tucked under my arm and Justin goes, uh, so I guess we're keeping him. Mm-hmm. And he helped me through so much. Cause like mm-hmm. when you're stuck in bed for you know days on end mm-hmm. or all your free time is, you know, just trying to function, you know, he was always with me. So now we will always have a dog. When you come to work for me, I'm like, you have to understand sports and like dogs. If you can't do those things, you're not going to make it. So yeah, but I mean, there are days that are hard. I'm super fortunate that my husband's a therapist too. And so we can talk about those things. Mm -hmm. I usually have a counselor on retainer, mostly just to kind of process and manage the stuff that's going on with as being a counselor. Mm -hmm. But I know that, and this was hard as an athlete is sometimes you have to rest. And, and teaching an athlete to rest, especially when they are going through chronic pain, I go, you need to understand rest is when we recover. Rest is just as important as going to the gym or eating properly. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so I, I'm really focused on sleep. My sleep is horrible. I don't know how yours is, but chronic pain leads to usually pretty low quality sleep. Mm-hmm. So sometimes it's like, okay, you have to lay in bed today. You just have to, or you're not going to be able to do the next week. And then if you can't do the next week, you can't take care of your family or be with your husband yeah. or take care of your clients. The whole spoon thing. Exactly. And so you do have to decide what is truly valuable and what is not. And as an athlete, that is a very hard mentality to wrap your head around. Oh, yeah. Because it's go, 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 go. And I have to be performing. And so that's why I say like the higher level athlete, you know, having the mental health side of things is so crucial because it's what Mm -hmm. takes a great athlete to being a phenomenal athlete. Right. And so, you know, nowadays, I mean, I get text messages from kids, Hey, this is what's going on. My parents are getting divorced and this is how it's impacting my performance. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, I had a a kid that her anxiety is super high. Everybody and her doctors say she's physically is fine, but she has pain. Yeah. And I'm like, kiddo, 
until this anxiety gets down mm-hmm. and and your your need to please your coach changes hmm. this is how things are going to be you know so i mean as i say it's a balancing act but it's just like being an athlete it's a lifestyle yeah. and chronic pain is kind of a lifestyle you know and you have to figure out when you really have to step away for things, knowing God needs to step in 90% of the time yeah. and knowing that he's going to take you on the path that needs to be taken. Yeah. So in this, I love all the individual stories you're sharing. And I'm curious, is it like, I mean, I'm sure you have to tailor things very specifically, even like listening to the Holy Spirit while you're counseling like to a specific person. But are there things for people like just listening? There are, you know, over a hundred people for sure listening. That's a lot of different stories. Like, are there like three practical things, like whether it's for athletes or just for people, because you work with people in pain that you'd be like, these are the things I would say from what I've learned in this that could maybe, I don't know if universally apply. I mean, what do you think? Yeah. And it's funny because, you know, when you talk about holistics and, and I think about you dealing with the mental health side of chronic pain a lot of it has to be mm-hmm. okay with who you are and what your limitate what your limitations are because we push through things or we have expectations of ourselves and put pressure on ourselves that only mm-hmm. leads to increasing our pain right and so i know for me as a young person criticism was not good which is ironic cuz you know i could take criticism from coaches i i wanted to get better but yeah. i always took oh, it yeah. very personally right and now I don't, I don't take, I don't take criticism personally at all. I'm like, bring it on. I want to get better. And I always joke that we, we don't, and I don't know if it's in every country, but as Americans, we don't take criticism very well. Mm-hmm. We don't handle really looking at who we are. Yeah. And it's funny because even in, uh, even in interviews, we turn our, our weaknesses into strengths. Like I care too much or I work too hard. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, no, just, you know, we need to be real with who we are. And I know going through seminary, we had to do strengths and weaknesses, but you had to break down truly who you were, strengths and weaknesses. Mm -hmm. So for me, I know myself inside and out, and I know what I'm good at and what what I'm horrible at, and I pay people to do what I'm horrible at (laughs) because I want the best product, and I have to be honest with myself. But the thing is, is why that's important when it comes to pain, you're like, what does that have to do with anything? But the thing is, is so when criticism comes, I can accept it. It doesn't create more stress or anxiety mm. or the drive to be perfect. Yeah. You know, it's like, hey, I know I'm I, I'm weak at that. And I know and I can accept that about myself. Mm. So, so much of it is I am, you know, and I know I'm strong at that. So I need to have faith that I can perform in that we way. We cause ourselves more pain by not accepting our own limitations or weaknesses. Yeah. Yeah. Or even trusting in our strengths. Mm. Right. Because, you know, I, I, like with my golfer, she's like, I just don't trust my putting. And I'm like, well, you have to putt. It's part of the game. <laughs> yeah. Right. And I'm like, and you put so much, you know, we talk about trust the training, like you have this ability to do this, mm-hmm. but you know, fear just gets in our way so much and it leads to increased pain. Mm-hmm. So that's why I say I have a stuffed, I have a stuffed brain in my office. And I always say, guys, what is going on is your brain is electrified. And fear is making it more polarized. So mm-hmm. everything we do has to be bringing those levels down. And think about all the places where stress comes from. Perfectionism, right? Expectations, mm-hmm. you know, not being not being able to take criticism. You know, I always say the number one problem in America is that we can't be uncomfortable. Mm. Say that again. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I've like literally kept lists of all the things that could be wrong in the world and it all falls under being uncomfortable. Hmm. Well, God expected, God expected us to be uncomfortable. 
Yeah. Did, you know, he could have made us comfortable forever. He, that was not the expectation. No. What part of living in a broken world do we expect it to be comfortable? You know, that's what with athletes, I'm like, guys, you know, believing athletes, like you think you're never going to fail. God gave us so much insurance because he knew we were going to fail. Mm. That was the expectation. And so that's the thing is, is finding ways to be comfortable with who you are. Because, you know, I have kids who are like, well, I don't understand how you're confident, so confident about stuff. I go, because I know who I am, good and bad. Hmm. And that that makes my stress level way, way lower. That's interesting. So a lot of people are like, I know who I am. But they're like, what they really mean by that, I think, is I know, like, I'm confident in who I am. Yeah. But I don't think most people, when they say I know who I am, are saying I know my weaknesses. Yeah. Well, that's the thing is like, I joke, like I married the absolute best match for me, hundred percent because you know what, what I joke about him, not, you know, being able to build or decorate. Well, he is like a detailed genius. Right. And I am horrible at details, like absolutely awful at them. And we joke about it. Cause he even was, you know, he's like, well, I need to put this on your phone because, and I'm like, yeah, I can't even lie. You just need to put it on my phone. Cause I, you know, I'll forget or whatever. And I'll be, he wanted to come help me work on this cabin. I go, no, you stay home. You take care of this stuff. I will go, you know? So we both know what we're good at and what we're not good at. And we let the other person step up or we can reach out and say, I, I, I struggle with that. Mm-hmm. But self-ownership is, is a real, is a real weakness and to not be okay with our weaknesses. It's, as I say, it's the perfectionism, it's the expectation, it's the comparison, all these stressors that we bring into our lives that God never intended for us, Yeah, but we still do it. Yeah. Right. You know? And so for me, I know some of the things that people are like, I don't understand how that impacts pain. What, how it impacts your brain, how it de-escalates your brain. That is really the key to pain management, mm, that's good. right? As I say, there is also pain management. I'm a strong believer that ice cream solves 90% of the world's problems. <laughs> and, you know, there are days that I'm like, I just need a golden retriever ice cream and Netflix. And those are, there are days like that. And, and, you know, we can't be perfect through all days of our pain and, and we can't, you know, there are going to be limitations, but I know for me, my relationship with God has grown exponentially. One of my friends who's like a pastor and is just like amazing. She goes, I wish I could look at God the way you do. I go, wait, what? I went to seminary. I get it. But I went to seminary because they had the counseling program I went to, even though seminary was one of the best choices in that, you know, I always think of uh, times in my life that have really helped me grow through God, uh, grow to God. And that's one of them. But in the last couple of years about God is always going to do what needs to be done. Mm. And having that true faith is where people, I think, in pain, we we miss. We expect him to save us. Wait, wait, explain that because he is our savior. So by definition, he saves us. So what do you mean? <laughs> what I'm saying, like, I guess for me, it's like, it's not his job to cure us. Mm. Right? Like, yes, can people get miraculously healed? Yeah, it happens. Mm-hmm. But we can't sit around waiting for that to happen and not use all the things he's given us. Yeah. Right. My mom said this to me uh, a couple weeks ago and I was like, Oh, never thought about it that way. And it's been a long time. She goes, it's funny. Maybe God took away some of your gifts and gave you different ones. Hmm. And I was like, yeah, because uh, he like the thing I love the most got taken away. Interesting. But now I have things that I never truly felt I had before. You know, Angela has said to me, she goes, do you ever feel like the Holy Spirit comes into the room with you? I go, uh, every day (laughs) I go, something's come out of my mouth. And I'm like, oh, where did you come up with that? Like that is not coming from your brain. Right. Mm -hmm. But you know, the thing is, is 
God has put us on path uh, on a path, each of us. And yes, he, I mean, he is our savior, but he is not here to rescue us, to make us never feel pain. Yeah. And we can either look at him and say, where are you? And question him. Or we can say, hey, we know you're there, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I have a, a, fam- a family member that has similar medical stuff that I do, a little bit different, but she looked at me, she goes, I don't know how you believe in God. And I look at her, I go, I don't know how you don't. Mm-hmm. And she goes, well, he, he didn't give me what I wanted. I go, I'm pretty sure that's nowhere in the Bible. That was never what he promised. Yeah, I said he, he would walk with us. He was never going to give us what we wanted. Plus, we don't make the best choices for ourselves anyway. No, he's always not usually. Choose, he's, he's always going to choose better for us, right? Yeah. And I think the last thing too is, is you know, having people, you know, what, else can, what else can they do for themselves is be okay with asking for help and knowing that life has to stop sometimes and that's okay. You know, we all try to push through things. We all want to carry the load on our own. And that's like with counseling. I think of what it was like to be a student athlete. I watch these high level athletes now, these, you know, Pac-12 athletes, some of the best athletes in the world. And what is is on their shoulders is insane. The level of anxiety and pressure is absolutely crazy. And to think of them asking for help or to take a breath and stop seems like an impossibility for them. Mm -hmm. But every athlete I know that has taken a break and stepped back has only improved their, their performance. It's never been a detriment. Yeah. And I also know that the athletes that truly have a relationship with God, does that mean that they're going to win the world series? No, it doesn't, but their journey is going to be a lot better. There's amazing series called I am second. I don't know if you've ever watched I am second videos mm-hmm. and I, yeah. uh, there's one uh, about a long snapper and I, I actually presented to the athletes at Utah and I, I mean, not Utah, Oregon. And he was talking about, I won a Super Bowl, and it still wasn't enough. Mm-hmm. And he was like, until I was genuine about my relationship with God, and it wasn't a facade anymore. He goes, I wasn't genuine, genuinely happy. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what people miss is like, until that genuine relationship with God comes, all of this is going to be horrible, whether it be performance or whether it becomes pain or whether it becomes whatever we have to reach out and say, we are, we do have a weakness and I need somebody yeah. to, somebody to help me. And I yeah. need God to step in. Okay. What else would you add that we haven't talked about Carrie? To, to be honest, like one of the most important things, and, and I always forget about this and this is, it, it, this is genuinely important is being able to explain what is going on with you to the people around you. Mm-hmm. Right. Because lots of times, and it's funny, I, I, I see phases of my kids and things that I've had to teach them about my stuff, especially now that they're older. My, you know, my son, he's a super active guy. And I said to him, like during the COVID, like we'd go out and play roller hockey or whatever. And I had to finally explain to him, cause I have to tell him no, sometimes like, buddy, I can't, I can't go out with you. And so we sat down and kind of talked about like, buddy, it's not that I don't want to do things with you. It's not that I don't love doing things with you, but my body has limits and I need to know that, Hey, we're going to the zoo on Saturday. And so I can't play street hockey five days a week. Like I, you know, I just can't. Mm -hmm. And I know, you know, they've seen me in bed. Like when I was, when they were younger, I woke up one morning and my daughter was doing arts and crafts in my bed Mm -hmm. and I go, Hey, and she goes, I just want to hang out, you know? And so, you know, our bedroom is, uh, is our living room in so many ways, but I've had to kind of show them along the way, like what this means, what life looks like. Also having Sarah come into our life, like, okay, you weren't around a mom and dad that physically couldn't do certain things, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, but 
especially with my husband who has been with me. I mean, we got married. I mean, I knew him when I was going through my surgeries, we weren't together, but I knew him. And so he's been through all of it. And we still have to go through times of, Hey, this is what I need from you. Like he would just leave me Mm -hmm. alone. Well, being in chronic pain and being isolated is horrible. And so I know through our marriage, we've had to communicate what, what, you know, what I need, what he needs, what this really means. Like I'm even like right now that I want to be like, because he goes, I just don't understand how your body has, you know, like all the things have fallen into place. And I want to be like, here's some research, you know, this is why, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's even interesting now, one of the things that I have like hypermobility, I'm like, Oh, I'm really kind of worried that grace may have that and what that would look like. So it's one of those things that you need to be talking to the people around you because they're not going to guess and they feel helpless. Mm -hmm. Right. Sometimes it's harder for the people on the outside to watch us struggle and we need to help them help us. Yeah. Right. And we don't have to be stubborn about it. I know athletes, we're stubborn. We love our control. We don't, you know, but that doesn't help either party. And it actually divides relationships instead of building relationships. I think the more open I've been with my husband about what is truly going on and what I need, it has only made our marriage stronger. Mm-hmm. And it's helped my kids also not be nervous or worried. Oh, that's right? probably true of they, all marriages. They can understand what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. And so I know that you know, lots of people are just like, well, I don't talk to my, you know, my family about this. or They don't even know. I'm like, you need to talk to them about yeah. this. And even as an advocate for coaches or even employees, like my athletic director knew what I struggled with. Hmm. Right. And so, you know, even my, I mean, all my clients do, you know, so if I, uh, there might be a day that I'm like, guys, I literally can't work today. Yeah. And they'll yeah. be like, okay, we get it. You know, cause they, they live through it too. So being honest in, in, about what is hmm. going on is, is very important. Carrie, I hate to, to stop you. Cause I feel like I could just keep asking you questions for a whole nother hour. Well, well, as I say, you can, I always like with coaches, I'm like, you can text me if you have a question. And as I say, I know we'll get together and because this chronic pain thing is, is become is, is prevalent because, you know, in counseling, you have to go through, you know, you have to go through trauma. You have to go through marriage. You have to go through substances Mm -hmm. because all those things impact everybody. Right. The thing is, is chronic pain is starting to impact Mm -hmm. people's lives in the same capacity. Yep. Right. When you think of the the numbers of people that struggle with chronic pain, right? It's pretty astronomical. Mm-hmm. Just in college, just in college sports alone, there's a there's over four hundred thousand collegiate athletes at any given time mm-hmm. competing, right? Twenty five percent of them get prescribed opioids for pain. Oh my gosh, I did not know that. Yeah, wrap your head around that number, right? Wow. So that I mean, I, that's what when I saw that, and I because I was talking to an athletic director about, it, I go wrap your head around that number. I said, because my mom always said, how did you not become an addict? Because I was on opioids for years. And I was like, I was very careful. Hmm. And I said, but so many people are not careful. I go to my, uh, two of my first clients were actually inpatient rehab. One was a basketball player, injured his finger, got addicted to pain meds. Mm-hmm. He ended up going to jail, maximum security prison at 20, because he robbed an, a guy at an ATM trying to get money for drugs. Wow. So, you know, one of my other clients... It was his ninth time at rehab. He was a Pac-12 football player, broke his femur, and he had a $400 a day heroin habit. So that's the thing. It's like, you know, we don't even talk about where medication comes and yeah, all this stuff. Yeah. But it, it's, a hu- it's a huge facet, too. But that thing is, I, as I say, I always know God had a very different plan. He was like, yep, you're going to go through all this crazy stuff, but you're going to teach people on the, on the flip side, mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah, yeah. 
there's so many different facets that we've covered today. And so, yes, like I know that I get to have coffee with you and we live locally, but for someone listening, who's like, man, I really have this question or I like, I know an athlete, I would love for you to be her counselor, to hook her up with someone who could be like, how do people contact you? I know you have your own podcast. Maybe people would be interested in that. Like, what are those ways that people can can get a hold of you? Yeah, my company is called Training the Complete Athlete, and that is the website. It's just Training the Complete Athlete. We also have social media under the same thing. My email is actually Coach Cause, which is K-O-S, mm-hmm. at trainingthecompleteathlete.com. So yeah, contact me. You know, as I say, I work with teams, groups, like I even help, you know, groups do recruiting the whole college process because, as I say, it's a game within a game. Mm-hmm. But, you know, for me now, I'm, you know, as I'm transitioning uh, to just working with student, uh, working with athletes in pain, you know, so much of it is educating people, helping people manage things before things get even worse and helping people around athletes and athletes themselves be the best advocates and be as watchful through all the things that come through either injury, identity, mental health, all the stuff mm-hmm. and all the extra pressures that come along with, with being a student athlete. So yeah. I super, I super appreciate this time. As I say, it's definitely, you know, yeah. I, I always laugh. I'm like, how did pain become my passion? But I guess when we go through it, it does. Yep. Yeah. Yep. For sure. Yeah. Well, we're really, really grateful. I know that it'll minister to athletes, but even non-athletes today. I mean, there was just so much practical stuff in just hearing your story. Just thank you. Thank you. Thank you for doing this. You bet. Happy to do so. Isn't she great? I just love the energy combined with the expertise that Carrie brought to the show today. If you want to connect with her, send someone her way, bring her out to speak to a team. I've linked all that in the show notes. And please pray specifically today that God would be raising up more people like Carrie to help young people in chronic pain and to help athletes who are dealing with identity crises and opioid addictions and other fallouts from their pain. I know you guys are prayer warriors, so we really appreciate that. And if this episode really connected with you, you might really enjoy my memoir, Swimming for Freedom. It's my journey through an undiagnosed injury and the fallout of that for over 10 years. So I'll link that in the show notes as well. Thanks for being here, you guys. We'll see you next Monday.